Welcome back to the Line Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander. We're going to start this program out today with a quote from Leonardo da Vinci. And he said that simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. And in that the truth, uh, very interesting how so often I'm guilty of this, we will cloak ourselves in fancy, unnecessary polysyllabic words or going deep into the meaning of things that might have been a lot easier to just maybe have some silence about or have a breath about or have a laugh about. And uh, yeah, that's simplicity. It's fantastic stuff. Um, This podcast is a place that we bring together the world's leading experts on all things health and wellness to help you optimize your mind, body, and movement. And today we have exactly that. Uh, One of my, I think I say this in a lot of conversations and I really mean it, I especially mean it this one. Uh, Sean Korn, she is absolutely one of the most authentic uh, and also skilled and experienced yoga teachers and spiritual teachers and meditation teachers and breath work educators, facilitators. She's a really fantastic human being. And I am just so grateful to have gotten to share this conversation with her. We go deep into her process in unraveling and gaining relationship or whatever the best language would be around working with uh, trauma. And we get into the, the, the history of that and, and the effect that having traumatic experience in our lives, the effect that can have on our physiology, on our mind, our emotional self, all the parts, our outward uh, material self, everything. And we get into OCD, working with that. A lot of mind-body stuff in this conversation. It was just a, I would say it was a deeply connected conversation that I got to learn a lot. So I think you guys are going to really value this. Other news, we have the seven-day free trial, the Align Method Online program, which is uh, something you guys are going to devour, especially like this conversation, is getting into some fundamental breathwork practices to reset your nervous system, to stoke you up or calm you down. You can use your breath as a tool. And we offer you opportunities to make this time while we are hibernating in our homes, a time of working on yourself, self-care, movement, and all the things that you need to be effective in your body is all in that seven-day free trial. It can be found at alignpodcast.com slash method or in the bio of Align Podcast on Instagram. Thanks so much for sharing this with your friends. Thanks for doing you. I hope you guys are healthy. I hope you guys are safe, and uh, I hope you guys are inspired. I think during all of this pandemic stuff that we're experiencing presently in, in, in history as of March 22nd is when I'm reporting this. Uh, I think it is an interesting opportunity to reframe the way we're perceiving this experience. And the reframe that I'm taking is how can I come through the next one month, two months, 10 months, whatever it may be, um, and come through being absolutely better than I was before and see this whole experience as an opportunity. So that is my challenge for you, is how can we reframe this as opposed to something that we're getting through? How can we make it that we are savoring every moment of it and making it something that we uh, we value and we really devour this time, that we are hibernating inside of our homes? What a fascinating time to be in human history. We are getting to experience a god dang pandemic gets me fired up. Um, 
I hope you guys, seriously, I hope you guys are really healthy and I hope you guys are uh, well supported and I hope you guys are um, feeling good. Um, we will get through all of this and uh, life will keep turning after this. It will go through a, a interesting transition. We'll see what that is. I think now is an opportunity to be a part of choosing a, a transition that goes more towards a place of connection, um, more towards a place of supporting your local community, uh, supporting your earth, supporting uh, the things that matter, as opposed to getting mired by some of the stuff such as previous, pre-corona. Uh, I think a very common thing would be to be very stuck in our identities, uh, stuck in our job titles, stuck in the kind of car that we drive, stuck in things of that nature. Not during pandemic, let me tell you. So I think after this, let's really make this about a refocus on the things that matter most to you. In order to do that, you need to define what the heck matters most to you. All right. Thanks so much for tuning in on to the conversation with the beautiful, intelligent, and wise Sean Horn. Thanks so much for making time to do this. Thank you. I so greatly appreciate yeah, it. Yeah. I um I was I was telling you before as you came in, I was awestruck with how much I appreciated the writing of your book. Um how was the experience of putting it together? It was as I was telling you, it was a really challenging experience. I mean, uh I'd never written a book before. I had no it, I it's not that I didn't have interest in writing a book. I didn't have the confidence that I could actually pull it off. And people had been telling me for years you got to write a book. And I knew that that wasn't going to happen. You know, it's, it's different when you're teaching a class and you're in the zone. Um, people are feeling the words more than they are literally hearing them. And so there's a lot of leeway. And I've heard myself in my teaching contradict myself. I've said one thing in, in the beginning of a sentence and by the end of it, I've flipped it and somehow said something completely different. But didn't bother correcting it because I knew that they would feel the intention behind the literal words and it would land the way it needs to. Yeah. And so there's, um, there's just creative freedom. But with a book, you can't get away with that. People are going to look at page 10 and page 100. And if there's any contradictions are rightfully going to call me out. And so I had a lot of um, fear around actually hmm. writing the book and having to take ownership of... Uh, the teachings that are so complex and historical and scientific and knowing the responsibility of that felt a little too daunting. And, but I also knew that part of my teaching is that it's that saying, whatever's, uh, whatever's in the way is the way. And I knew that whatever limited belief that I was carrying around my inability to write this book was the very thing that was necessary for me to have to go towards in order to transcend it. And that there was information in the process that was going to be transformative. And so reluctantly, I made that decision to take the time. Whether or not it got published was irrelevant. What was important is that I wa- walked myself through that process mm-hmm. and, and did. So it was not easy. Um, like I had said to you, there wasn't a single day that went by in those three and a half years that it took to write that I didn't stop at one point and say, I don't know what to do next. Hmm. That I honestly didn't know the next, the next structural step, the next creative step, the next philosophical step. I just didn't. I was at the edge of my skill and my talent and um, my knowledge, and yet with a lot of you know 
hair pulling and prayer and just hard work would always get to the other side of it, hmm. which is what I eventually learned is that my head will talk me out of a thousand things. And but my determination is often you have to get past that and just trust the process and the process proved yeah. that it works. I found it, it's refreshing hearing you say that because I had a very similar experience, especially in relation to like accountability for my words. Mm-hmm. You know, and so that's like with words and even podcasts, it's not such a big deal because they're like, oh, we're in a sauna, we're talking, you know, whatever. But with a book, it's like, I'm saying what I mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Like, this is what I mean. This is like really, and it's, it may change in five years, but like, this is the best that I can do. I'm, I'm presenting the absolute best package for you now. Yeah. You know, I put my all into it. Yeah. And that's much more vulnerable because then if you don't like that, it's like, well, that was me. Yeah. You yeah. know, or the best that I could find of me. Mm-hmm. You know, and that yeah. to, to put yourself into that position is something I think is a rare occasion for me throughout my life i'd imagine that resonate with other people as well yeah yeah you know is that something that shifted your approach at communication or anything after putting the words to paper i would have to say what was the most challenging for me is that um like the the book is written in a in, in two different ways one there's narrative of course where i'm living in the story and i'm telling personal anecdotes Um, that are reflective of my own spiritual journey. So there's challenges in there. And then there's the teaching aspect that goes along with it. And when I first started to write the book, I, uh, the very first time I I sat down to write the book, um, which was the day after Christmas, you know, four years ago. And I, before I went into the process, I prayed. And I knew I was in trouble once I prayed because I, I heard what I was asking for. You know, I I wanted to step fully into my purpose and be in service and use my languaging in a way that was transformational, not only for me, but to all that would read this. And when you're when you're asking for transformation, when you're asking for clarity, when you're asking to get out of your own way, I know that I'm going to have to go up against all the things that are in my way for me to be able to transcend it. So I was a little anxious as soon as I prayed. I thought, ah, crap. And but then. The next thing that happened scared me even more because the first words that I wrote in my book, they didn't end up in my book, but it was my name is Cece. And as soon as I wrote my name is Cece, and I didn't give it a lot of thought, but I kind of gasped because obviously my name is Sean, but Cece is my childhood name. It's the name my parents called me, my family, my friends. And I was Cece, not Sean, up until I was around 18, 19 years old when I left home and I moved to New York. And... Um, reverted just to my my birth name but people where I grew up didn't even know that my birth name was Sean so when I wrote my name is Cece I knew exactly what was about to happen and I was terrified because I knew that I was not going to be allowed to write the book as Sean and because Sean has an identity that I can hide behind meaning that I'm going to talk about myself in third person because which is weird but I haven't figured out how to do this yet without doing that but Sean I have I've been doing yoga since I was 18 years old. I've been in therapy since I was 18 years old. Sean, so Sean has mentorship. Um, uh, I'm a teacher. Um, I have tons of teachings and guidance and tools that I have access to. I have years of experience. I'm 53 years old, so I, there's a certain amount of maturity that I have just living life. Cece didn't have that. Cece didn't have guidance. She didn't have mentorship. She didn't have those tools. She had childhood sexual trauma. She had obsessive compulsive disorder. She had high anxiety. And when I wrote My Name is Cece, 
I realized that I wasn't going to be allowed to hide behind my, my the identity as a teacher, hmm. and that to invite people into a process of transformation that encourages them to reframe their own narratives and to normalize the human experience, including their own vulnerability, that I wasn't going to be allowed to tell people how to do it. I was going to have to show it. Hmm. And that's when I thought, oh, God, I don't want to do this. I do not want to go where this book is asking me to go. Hmm. And so... For me, the, it would have been easier to write it as the teacher to tell you how to live your life and to give you the tools that you can apply to your experience. I could have maintained the, um, the, the hierarchy that exists in the, that teacher relationship and the projection that a lot of teachers are really attached to. But for me to succeed at this book meant I had to um, go to places within my own humanity and invite people into bearing witness to that process so that they would feel safer bearing witness to their own. Hmm. And that was the challenge for me in this book. Hmm. Yeah. That's really beautiful. <laughs> I heard you uh, mention in a previous podcast I listened to of how, so you had sexual trauma when you were six? Six, yeah. And then you developed the OCD stuff when you were seven? Yeah. And I loved like hear about that as mm-hmm. well. Uh, but something that I heard you mention was that you conducted yourself kind of like an adult, which I think is like, and this is, I mean, I'm probably mm-hmm. misinterpreting, so please like clear all this up after. Um, but uh, culturally or from a family and all that stuff, that would be very well accepted of like, oh, wow, she's like put together and mm-hmm. she's kind of like stuffed it up and she's like, wow, mm-hmm. she's really handled herself well. Mm-hmm. You know, but that's all that like kind of Sean costume, all yeah. those kind of compensatory patterns wrapping mm-hmm. up something mm-hmm. that lies below and then we can march on through our lives but there's still, I feel like there's yeah. perhaps like a, there was a split in the road. Mm-hmm. You know, at some point, if you choose to you know, actually, you know, go deeper into yourself to, you know, go into higher levels or whatever, you're going to have to come back to that split. It's just kind of up to mm-hmm. the individual when they choose to, I guess. Or maybe yeah. it's not, maybe it's the environment, I don't know. Well, you know, those, what, what I learned in the process of writing this book <clears throat> was even though I had done years and years of work on myself and, you know, have... Told, talked about obsessive compulsive disorder and childhood sexual trauma over the years very freely. I always have been very open about it, but again, from a distance. And the book, because it was being um, told the arc is in first person and in the story, it's in present time. So in the beginning of the book, I can't have the awareness of a 53-year-old woman. I can only have the awareness of what's happening at that time at 18, 19 years old. And so I have to relive the trauma. Hmm. That was very difficult. And someone who understands mind-body connection, it was amazing to me how alive those stories, the vibration of those stories were still in my body Hmm. after all these years, even with the work that I've done. So what I know about these tools is that, unless of course you're enlightened, the, the rate in which we get it gets shorter and shorter. But pain and suffering, that just will always exist. The discomfort of living always exists. But we can grab these tools so that we can learn to manage the discomfort and feel it. And what I had been aware of in the writing of the book is that I'd been telling the story for so many years, but I hadn't revisited or felt the grief, the rage, the anger in a very long time. And my body needed to. It Mm. needed to be like, oh, there's still some residual there. Let's go in there. And I'm so grateful, so grateful that I got to do that inner work for so many years, the last three years, and four years in the writing of the book. 
um, to continually just kind of clear that energy. Because with a lot of uh, trauma, people who the way in which they function within their trauma is through dissociation. So I could tell you how I feel without actually feeling it. Mm-hmm. And as a teacher, I became very accustomed to explaining the circumstance or story, but being somehow separate from it. And the healing, uh, the opportunity within the writing of the book is it let me reluctantly, of course, you know, who wants to do that? It's just not fun or comfortable. But the blessing was, is I got to go back in, revisit that little girl within myself that was fractured and split and reclaim that, uh, that experience and have agency over the way in which it's going to be put out into the world. And it was so incredibly healing. Hmm. But I don't think it goes away. I'll probably have to revisit it again and again and again until I take yeah. my last breath. Yeah, like spirals. Yeah, yeah. I feel like a lot of teachers, it can be deceptive because oftentimes teachers are so good at teaching because they're so good at kind of going through that labyrinth of intellectual mm-hmm. intellectualizing of yeah. a feeling. And then that comes out sometimes as like good social media content or videos or yeah. books and whatnot. Cause it's like, wow, they really described the hell yeah. out of this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's bypass. It, but oftentimes that's like a r- super elaborate bypass. Yeah. Um, I mean, I see that myself. I'm kind yeah. of just speaking like first person of like, yeah. Oh yeah. Like that's we're, we're geniuses. <laughs> at we, we've been trained <laughs> yeah. to do it. And, um, it's, but it's why it was so important to me to demystify that role yeah. as a teacher and to try to dismantle that projection mm-hmm. because the the transformational process is really messy it just is and and it's a part of it it's it's supposed to be messy you can't know the light without the shadow and in yoga it's all about relationship so it's not about killing the shadow it's about being in relationship, relationship. to it and so if i can't embody that then why would i expect anyone else to Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I believe in this work and therefore I've got to be willing to dismantle my own attachment to the projection that students might have of me and be willing just to share with them this human experience and this commitment to healing, which can often be so um, peculiar yeah. and also so blessed. I more often than not hear the term enlightened as more like almost like a parody or joking or kind of writing it off. You said it in a very literal way. Mm-hmm. Um, can you define what that would be? Yeah. Well, in the practice of yoga, um, which I'm a yoga teacher, so usually everything's kind of within that context because yeah. that's my particular um, pathway. There's these eight limbs that lead to what's called samadhi. And samadhi is, uh, another word for that would be bliss, um, enlightenment, um, it's transcendence. It's where you, you break from, you know, your attachment to the ego and even to the physical world. And so that's ultimately the goal. And, um, and yet it takes lifetimes to get there, you know, the merging of the small self with the higher self. And another word for enlightenment in our vocabulary, because we're limited to our five sense realities. So our words are going to be limited within that scope. Um, but love and not necessarily romantic love or familial love, but that unconditional encompassing love that we've been taught about. That's what we're in these bodies to learn about. And that opens us to the potential of enlightenment. And so karma is what we come back into these human bodies again and again and again to keep playing out these lessons, if you will, not for punishment, but in order to really embody these deep truths, because we can't learn forgiveness, for example, without betrayal. Mm -hmm. We can't learn um, compassion without judgment. 
And so these shadow emotions, the fear, the rage, the shame, the guilt, the grief that people most more often than not want to run away from, those are the very experiences within our humanity that will teach us the patience, the grace, the acceptance, the compassion that open our heart to love. The thing with yoga that I understand is that we are already fully and completely that light. And the only thing that blocks us from the totality of that knowing is trauma and life experience and humanity and socialization and religion and education. And our work is to continually peel back those layers of illusion to expose what's already within us. But it's not something we seek because to seek enlightenment means we're looking for something outside of ourselves. It's something that we awaken to. And again, lifetimes. And so it's like, I, you know, you want to get let yourself off the hook. I'm not going to be enlightened in this lifetime, but I can be empowered. That I believe. And that can happen in this moment. Why don't you think you'd be enlightened in this lifetime? Oh, there's so much to learn. I just know I'm a baby on the path. Yeah. I just know. (laughs) I I have a lot of wisdom for what I know, but it's a fraction. And quite frankly, I'd be disappointed if this was it. Right. Like I'd be disappointed if all the information I have, like, like, am I close? That would be like so sad. This is deep, mis- mystical work. And you only get, get what your nervous system can really handle yep. at any given time. And so I know that my nervous system is still being prepped. I'm still being um, gifted opportunities um, to be in the rawness of humanity. And so I think I got lots of lifetimes left. And why I like that is that means I still get to make a lot of mistakes and forgive myself and forgive others and that I don't have to do this perfectly. Hmm. I just have to be present to what it is that I'm experiencing in the same way I hope that I would have the grace to let someone else be present to their own experience. My sense Mm -hmm. is that the further a person believes that they are from it, likely there's some reciprocal relationship of the closer that they are. Where in the person that's like, (laughs) I'm like right in there, come on, they're probably more (laughs) deeply stuck in their ego. And they're very likely uh, there's going to be an uncomfortable some type of like pull out. You're like, oh shit, oh, 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 oh. oh." (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah. I heard you saying something about, um, well, so like Ram Dass quote is, is that we're all walking each other home. You know, so I think I've heard you mention a a similar, similar sentiment around like every thing in your life is a lesson and is an opportunity. I think it's interesting. Like right now, like I feel this presently, um, you know, we think, or I think, or whatever, like, oh, we're doing this podcast, and we're, you know, film this thing, and content, whatever, and then, but beyond that, that's mm-hmm. just kind of like the mask, and beyond that, mm-hmm. there's probably some deeper reason that you and I, and Max, and mm-hmm. every single situation throughout your life, your mother, your father, your son, the grocery yeah. person that dropped your milk and broke it, that was like, oh, 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 oh. Mm-hmm. And so if we can change that filter of how we perceive things, all yeah. of a sudden we can really be like a, like a part of the game and, mm-hmm. and playing it as opposed to just being uh, played by it. Yeah, yeah, spot yeah. on. Yeah. You know, I feel very much that way. And um, that life just is. And you can't change life, but you can change your perception. Mm. And you can broaden your perception to see the miracle in every single moment, even if it breaks your heart, even if it's incomprehensible. Incons- con- there's opportunities in every single experience that's going to mature and evolve our soul. Hmm. And so it, it just doesn't feel it when you're in it, you know? It's like when people are often tell me that they're like bored by their own life, I just think, oh God, you're not paying attention. 
Yeah. It's it's <laughs> like you are in the miracle. You are standing in the center of your own mystery. And it's just a matter of perceiving the beings that are around you through a different lens. Hmm. Have you ever experienced boredom? Um, yeah, every single day, but just, you know, <laughs> but y- yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and I, uh, you know, sometimes I, often I indulge it by watching, I mean, my go-to, uh, is, um, true crime, anything related to ju- true crime, serial killers and murderers. Oh, like that's how I check You're out. You're like a breed of people. I'm a breed of people. Yeah, there's like people. <laughs> there's like people that are really into like crime stuff yeah, and like yeah. all this. And I'm like, there's like people that are, they're like devout. Yeah. And those people are like, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. I am devout. <laughs> I, that's how I often fall asleep. Is you know, anything related to serial killers? Oh, interesting. Probably because I'm fascinated by what what is it in the mind yeah. that can cause somebody a level of apathy. Yep. that could cause them to do this kind of harm. I, I Maybe that's what intrigues me. I'm not really sure. Yeah. Or the fact that that we all embody all aspects of the human experience. And mm-hmm. I would never, of course, indulge in that kind of apathetic thought, of course, to that degree. Um, so maybe there's something about that human experience that's probably within me too mm-hmm. that I just want to understand. Um like as a voyeur, like to stand on the other side of it safely at a distance to try to understand what exists within the human psyche that brings someone to that level of darkness. Yeah. And in the same way, I'm curious about what brings people to different levels of lightness. You know, both are true. But yeah, I would have made a killer detective. <laughs> I was a play on words, actually. A pun, I think. Yeah. But I would have made a great detective. So is the process in like loving the Hitlers and loving the cannibals? Well, not the can- yeah, cannibals yeah, yeah, might yeah. be actually a, a fine thing as far as like yeah. history and tribes and whatnot yeah. go. It's, it's like, but I, not that I'm, I've actually got this. I had like a, someone, a, a one star review or whatever podcast because i'm like pro cannibals or something mm-hmm. and i've talked about like the history of cannibalism mm-hmm. and like you know tribes eating their their opponents and as opposed to just leaving the but anyways mm-hmm. sorry that was yeah. a side note i'm a vegan i'm not pro can i'm not pro cannibalism that's what i'm trying to say in a sauna trying to say i'm not pro but it is a thing that exists and perhaps yeah. like everything there's you know it's just a process of love well <laughs> i mean big picture uh you know do i love hitler no I don't, of course. Yeah. And it, there's hypocrisy within my spirit to not acknowledge the human suffering that led to that level of disconnect. Yeah. I always have to believe within myself that everyone is doing the best they can with what little they know based on their own trauma and the lack of tools that were available at that time. Yeah. But that we are all here to awaken to what love is. And the rate in which that happens is between each person and the God of their own understanding. And I can't pick and choose who that's for. Um, again, that would be creating separation, the opposite of yoga. Um, I, so I would, I would challenge the, the hypocrisy within myself. If I believe we're all one, we're all united, and we're all children of God, does that include all of these people that have caused unimaginable harm and suffering? And the answer has to be yes, even though it hurts my, my, my body to acknowledge that. My spirit says yes, mm-hmm. yes. Yeah. You know. It feels to me, uh, something else I've heard you say is like, you, you know, you love my 
blonde hair and my blue eyes and all that stuff, but you also have to love the history of bigotry and racism and, you know, all these other things that come behind me. Yeah, yeah. Um, because it is me. Mm-hmm. You know, like I'm just yeah. because the the peak of the wave that comes out of the ocean presently that we call Cece or Sean or whatever yeah. is like looks cute and beautiful and does good things in the stretchy pants and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Like I'm also this whole history of the ocean. Yeah, yeah. And if there's some part that I don't love of that, mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm just I just wonder if is, yeah. is the answer to love everything, including the Hitler. I don't, we don't need to keep on picking yeah. at it. But. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is, you know, and I think to to your point. Um, what I have said is that, again, it's a, it's a, it's a level of hypocrisy within the, the communities of yoga is that, um, we all want love and, and we want to put on the costume of enlightened being. And it, it, for some looks a certain way, it's mala beads, it's, Mm -hmm. you know, flowers in the hair, um, but yoga means to come together and make whole, and it recognizes, like I said, no separation between anything. And if I'm going to recognize that we are all one, I have to look at where is that not true? Hmm. Where are the systems set up in such a way that create this separation where some people who look like me get a lot, and for others, people who live on the margins, they don't have the same access. So are we all really equal And if I'm a true yogi, I have to not only unpack what that means, but I have to look at my own complicity to it. And not as a punishment, but this is a part of the path that when I hear people just say, well, I'm not racist, I'm not sexist, I'm not homophobic. There's just no way that that can be physiologically true if Mm. you believe in the mind-body connection. Mm. I am a product of a culture that is historically dominating. I am a product of a culture that is racist, that is sexist, that is homophobic, transphobic, ageist, ableist, um, a product of a culture that is committed to stereotyping and prejudice. That lives in my body, and I've inherited those beliefs, whether I'm conscious of it or not, in the same way I've inherited my curly hair and my blue eyes. And so if I don't own that, what happens then is that I go out through the world and do and say things that create harm and don't take any accountability, then I am part of that very system that I'm suggesting I want to see dismantled. We can't dismantle that system until we dismantle the systems within ourselves that participate in that very same suffering. To me, that's what yoga is about. And so I'm not arrogant enough to say that I'm beyond racist thoughts um, or, or homophobic thoughts or whatever it might be. It's impossible. But when it comes up, usually in a moment of fear or overwhelm or ignorance, where my body is not in present time, those moments of tension is what's going to shut my heart down and put me into my head and put me into my reactive brain. That brain is my grandmother. That brain is my high school. That brain is the religion that was dominating in my culture. And so I have to know in those moments, take a breath, feel into the body and make a different choice so that the words or the actions that I take don't perpetuate that harm. Yeah. Wanted to take a moment to thank the show sponsor, Osea Malibu. Osea spelled O-S-E-A. They are absolutely, hands down, some of the highest quality skincare products you will possibly find. Everything that comes from them is non-toxic, cruelty-free, 
vegan, sustainably packaged, all those things that are so dang important. And it's all made with love, as they say, in California. So if you are experiencing any kind of skin blemishes or any kind of uh, breakouts or irritation or things of the sort, or you just generally want to nurture and support your skin with uh, some amazing products using only the finest ingredients, then you can get yourself some Osea stuff and also get yourself $10 off by using the align code. So you go to oseamalibu.com slash align. That's oseamalibu.com slash align. I know you guys are gonna devour the stuff and uh, I know you guys are gonna really appreciate it. It's also free shipping for orders over $75 and you also get free samples with every order. So get out there, support your skin, grab some of this goodness from Osea Malibu. All right, back to the podcast with the beautiful Sean Corn. I think uh, clarifying what I was thinking as far as like loving everything, I feel like something that's helpful is to look at people as being just like a bunch of babies because most yeah. of them are still running on their yeah. like baby programs. Mm -hmm. You know, so with a Hitler, mm -hmm. I'm not suggesting love his actions because yeah. the actions are, are a symptom of some form of, of pain or contraction mm -hmm. or something that formed what was at one point like mm -hmm. sweet little Adolf that loved to play baseball and had aspirations of being a artist mm -hmm. or architect or all these things. And mm -hmm. then something closed that light down, yeah. you know? And so I think we can love everything, but it doesn't necessarily need to be that we are um, applauding the symptom, mm -hmm. but like underneath all of that, I think is, is something sweet. But the, the, the thing that in relation, like moving on beyond that part is, uh, is there a place that trauma lives in the body? Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, you have to understand, like, um, first, get to define trauma. Trauma is anything that overwhelms our capacity to cope and leaves us feeling helpless, hopeless, or out of control. Yep. Most people, when they think of trauma, they think shock trauma. And, be like, rape, murder, war violence, gang violence, uh, things that happen that are um, immediate, unexpected, um, uh, even something like uh, you find out your partner cheated on you. Hmm. Uh what I'm talking about is called developmental trauma. And developmental trauma, the traumas that happen when we're young, usually before we have the language to assign to our big feelings. And so bullying, death of a loved one, divorce, these are traumas. So when trauma happens, uh, chemicals released from the brain flood into the body. We're put into fight, flight, freeze, or collapse. So the body contracts as a way to create safety and control. It, it senses a danger and the body says it, it contracts into itself in, and shuts down, does all sorts of things in order to create a, um, some safety. In the practice of yoga, we're taught that everything is connected and what binds us is energy. Energy can be gross, meaning you can, it moves at a rate in which we can see it. But there's also subtle energy. Subtle energy you can't, you can't see, but you can feel like love or happiness but also hate, shame, rage, grief, guilt. These are the shadow emotions. When we experience trauma, the energy that is behind that trauma are those shadow emotions. Hmm. So that moment of contraction, the energy, the resonance of the hate, the shame, the fear, the grief, whatever it might be, that now has, it lives within that contraction. If you were raised in an environment when you're young where your parents or whoever is, is guiding you, see that you're in overwhelm or you're shut down or you're scared 
and they give you an opportunity to discharge the energy. The energy moves through you. The way animals in the wild, you know, if they, if they um, feel a threat, you know, certain animals will play dead. And then afterwards, they shake it off. Literally, they, their bodies shake and yeah. they discharge the energy. So as children, if we're given the opportunity to scream the rage, to rage, to beat something, to process it without over understanding it, then we can move the energy through. But in our developmental stages, most of our parents, not because they're bad, this is, you know, really it's often out of, out of love or out of ignorance or out of fear. A big feeling comes up for a child. They say, oh my God, you're sad here. Have a cookie. You know, oh my God, you're scared. Let's go shopping. I'll buy you a little present. So they start to introduce big feeling. Here's something to self-soothe, to change the emotion. Or, oh, you're scared. I'll give you something to be scared about. And either way, the child is now being taught to repress, to repress the energy. That energy, that suppressed emotion becomes the tension we experience. And Mm. it becomes a sensation that we actually are addicted to because it's familiar. Mm. Meaning this contraction tells me I'm safe. I don't know what's on the other side of that contraction. It could, it could mean abuse. It could mean um, more bullying. It could mean death. And so there's no way that my body would feel safe to discharge because this represents safety. Yeah. And so every time then as this child develops, they go up against a situation that in the subconscious reminds them of that original insult or assault. The first thing that's going to happen is that contraction. And often their behavior will either be to submit, perhaps the way they did as a child, just to withdraw, another word would be oppression, or to get aggressive, high ego, to dominate. It's that split, it's dominance, it's oppression, and this Hmm. is what we see in our world. And so- It's like victim or bully. Yes, and so when those, so if I was, if you were to say something that triggered me, and I wasn't in my center, and my body is all locked up, odds are I'm gonna meet hate with hate or fear with fear, creating the same cycle of fear and hate. What yoga does, you stretch and you breathe and the tension begins to release and the information, that resonance, the emotion begins to come to the surface. That's why yoga is so challenging when you get to a certain level because it's never been about the stretch. Mm -mm. It's about your reaction to the stretch because as the feelings start to come up and we don't have access to the cookie or to the shopping or to the sex or to the drugs or to the alcohol or all the other ways in which we've learned to self-soothe, we'll fidget, we'll look around, we'll start to fantasize, we'll project onto the teacher or onto the students around us. We'll use our mind as a way to take us out of present time. And yoga teaches us how to breathe into the sensation, how to learn at first just to tolerate the discomfort and then in time peel back the layers to understand where did that discomfort come from and where does the trauma live within the body and you can track the trauma in the body there's a road map through the chakra system that can help you to isolate the different narratives that live within the body that can get trapped in certain body parts based on trauma hmm. so that was a very long-winded i loved it know. i was well engaged <laughs> um I, as you were saying that, it kind of reminded me of, um, it's almost like raising kids, the fear of not wanting them to, you don't want to break them. You don't get any like users may know how to do anything. And I feel like sometimes that coddling can almost be like, 
the analogy is popping up for me is like spending money on a credit card for 18 years, you know, mm-hmm. and then eventually they'll get yeah. out of your house yeah. and they'll figure out how to pay for it. Yeah, yeah, right. You know, whereas uh, instead we could have been just paying with cash the whole mm-hmm. time. Like, okay, this is where we're at. This is what's happening. Yeah. There's no need to coddle this or maybe mm-hmm. coddling is appropriate for this moment or whatever, but let's address things as mm-hmm. they are as opposed to just suppress, suppress, suppress. Yeah. And then at some point they'll be off my clock. <laughs> and hopefully have good tools. <laughs> and hopefully have good tools. I don't yeah. think that there's any parent that's consciously doing that, but no. I think that there's some degree of like, oh, I just don't want them to cry. I don't want them yeah. to feel this. I don't, it's like, well, perhaps that's, they're, they're paying that debt right yeah. now. Like it's, the, they're doing the, they're doing the work. Well, I, I often say my, my partner had, his children are all, um, they're all adults now. But when they were young, I used to say, um, Everyone should have a non-biological parent helping to raise their children because there would be incidences that would come up, especially when they were teenagers, that my partner could not manage his discomfort with their discomfort. Just life stuff that happens, hearts getting broken, you know, getting in trouble at school. And I would sit on the other side of it and see that it was biological, he was having a biological reaction to their discomfort and he would do anything in his power to take away their pain. Hmm. Even though by, by doing that, he was just prolonging the inevitable and not really giving them, him, them great tools. So there were so many times where I would have to step in and just say like, you're actually in the way. Let them feel this. Hmm. Let them feel the shame. Let them go through this process. Let them unpack what this is. And because my body didn't feel it in the same way, I was okay with their discomfort because I understood that this was a part of their maturation. And so I have a lot of compassion for parents who biologically give birth because there's this tether that connects. But sometimes that isn't really in service to the soul in which they have been charged to usher into development. Hmm. And so my, my um, emotional neutrality at times, it was invaluable. Because I could see like, no, 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 you're, you're actually in the way here. Like this is, they're right on, they're right on target. This is what needs to happen. And this is what they need to learn. And yes, it's going to suck. But you need to go into another room and deal with your own shit. (laughs) Get out of their way. (laughs) So how does a person begin the process of gaining relationship with their, their inner CC (laughs) without writing a book? Therapy. Um, I mean, I'm a big believer in, in practices of transformation, but with guidance, get a therapist, get a life coach, practice yoga, um, get in the program, find environments that normalize the human condition and provide pathways for integration. Um, there's a lot of books that you can read that teach us how to, um, access the inner child and how to be in relationship to the shadow emotions and know that this is a necessary part of one's spiritual maturation and that very often we need to go back and get her, get him, get them and uh, understand what it was that they experienced and what they still have to tell us today. Mm. Um, but it's not effortless. It definitely requires work. You know, like I said, I got into yoga and, medi- and yoga and and therapy at a very, very young age. And I'm really grateful for that. And that was, my mother still says, like, that wasn't how I was raised. I think my nervous system knew that if I didn't get support and some guidance, that I was at a crossroad that could have led me 
in a direction that was going to be continually self-soothing and disconnecting from my spirit and my body and that I was going to need to have to go into these other realms and I needed um, support. And so I was, uh, I'm still very committed. I had therapy this morning Hmm. and I actually need it even more now because as a teacher, if I don't feel good about myself, all I have to do is book a class because I'll get a hundred people telling me I'm fabulous. Right. And that temporary rush feels amazing. It's just not sustainable. And so I've got to make sure that I have someone that as I'm holding this role that continually challenges me and forces me to have to confront the shadow of being a teacher and not let myself um, buy into that projection as a way to avoid my own humanity. Yeah. Do you think a person needs to get pulled into the seductive praise stuff you know where they've like cool they've they've like climbed the first mountain and they've made it and people love them for all of these superficial validators to realize that that's that's not that's not it or is there some way to to bypass the success of the first mountain and just start working on the i have no idea you know everyone is so the everyone is just so unique on the path that way you know but none of us are exempt from the ego i would have to say probably if people are lucky enough to be in a in a in a position really where they get exalted, not it's not that's not the case for most people in the world. Yeah. Um, but if you're in that kind of a privileged ex- experience, yeah, you probably have to feel that to know like, wow, this is a drug, mm-hmm. and this feels really really good, and this is not the truth, yeah. and this is now another part of the yoga or another part of the transformational path, and so I think everyone's got to experience everything. It's like. And that's unique to them. It's it's based on their their prayers yeah. and what their own um, their own karma. But so I I'm not one to say like here's the here's this is what it looks like. I don't know right. what it looks like. I know what it looks like for me. Yeah. But I don't know what it looks like for everyone. Yeah. When you say yoga, what do you mean? Well, like I people said, think asana. Yeah, asana is a is a part of the pathway. Yeah. Um, yoga is about, like I said, relationship. It's about recognizing that everything that exists is an aspect of of the divine, and nothing is exempt from that level of holiness. And that I want to live my life recognizing this interdependency and being accountable for supporting it and helping it to continually evolve. And so to move into that direction of oneness of, of union, there's certain um, practices that prepare the body, the mind uh, to open itself to that grace. And asana, the physical poses that are most uh, demonstrated in, in, the, in, in our world, often people think that is the yoga, but that's one aspect. It prepares the body for meditation. Yeah. It prepares the body to understand trauma. It gives them some resource to excavate the emotions. Um, and then the meditation, I mean, I think some of the, f- I, I wouldn't want to say flaws, but my lack of sophistication in, in the practice has so far shown me that there is a little bit of a gap between asana and meditation. Mm-hmm. And meaning that in meditation, we're taught to detach. And big feeling comes up, you detach. But in contemporary methodologies, detachment without awareness is dissociation. And so too often I see people get really into the yoga practice, get into the meditation practice, 
but they don't allow themselves to be in relationship to those big feelings and they don't unpack the narratives that live in the body and look at a spiritual, um, a spiritual picture to why things happen as they do and learn, move towards reconciling, uh, these experiences. So I see a little bit of a jump and my work has always been to be, not to let myself move too quickly. It's to be in that narrative and understand what is what is it that's guiding my body that's actually keeping me from the God of my understanding? Yeah. And I can't heal it until I can see it. And so my prayer is always like, show it, show it, you know, hold that mirror up. Yeah. I've heard, I'm, I'm like all hot and bothered about Ram Dass mm-hmm. um, for, I think, good reasons. But yeah. he's, one of the things I heard him mentioning is uh, he's got all these different neuroses and at one point they were like these monsters and he was trying yeah. to push away and put back and sex and like drugs and all these different things. Um, and he says they never, you know, after all his years of psychedelics and therapy and mm-hmm. meditation and gurus and all that stuff, it's like everyone's still there. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, everyone's like, see it. But now as opposed to being this thing that I'm pushing away and trying to you know, disassociate and disconnect, mm-hmm. oh, no, it's not me. It's not me. Um, now it's like, oh, they're like my children. Completely. And they're like, they're all hanging out. We're all drinking tea. And they're yeah. like, oh, there he is. Yeah. There's little sex addiction, mm-hmm. you know, or whatever, whatever. They're like, oh, hey. Yeah. <laughs> they don't, they don't get to run the show. <laughs> they don't run the show. You know, that's the thing. It's like they, but they have, but I have to be in relationship with them. Yeah. You know, what we always talk about in uh, the trainings that, that we do with Off Mad Into the World is, uh, which is one of my training programs, is talk about that that part of our shadow being the drunk child in the car. Meaning that if you had a teenage kid who's drunk and they want to drive, you're not going to let them drive the car Hmm. because they will die. They will kill someone else. Kill us all. You also can't throw them out onto the street because they'll run into the road and get hit by a car or they can get hurt on the side of the road. Hmm. You've got to take that drunk child and put him in the backseat. And what's that drunk child going to do? It's going to kick. It's going to pull your hair. And you're going to hand it a bucket so it can puke. You're going to maybe give it some bread. But you're never going to let that child get its hands on that wheel. Nor are you going to throw it out in the street. Hmm. And so to me, it's like those parts of ourselves are the drunk child constantly trying to interfere um, with really our common sense. And so you got to be like, oh, hey, it just doesn't get to drive the car. So who's driving? The witness. Really the highest aspect of who we are. The adult self. Um, it's the grace, it's the God, it's the, it's the love. That's who drives the car. It's always the love. Hmm. And, but within that, there's parameters and responsibility. You know, the adult part of ourselves is way less fun than that shadow part. It's responsible and it's patient and it's mindful and it's compassionate. Um, it's accepting. Um, it forgives. That's the aspect of self that drives that car. And, you know, everything else is ultimately a deterrent. It doesn't mean that jealousy doesn't get itself in there. Um, but it's not sustainable. If jealousy is driving that car for days and days and days, it's not sustainable. But mm-hmm. if jealousy shows up, you know, all of a sudden you're like, okay, I'm out of alignment. But I've got to deal with that. You know, I can't just say, you know, jealousy, you're just bad. It's like, what are you trying to show me? What are you trying to teach me? Where am I out of alignment with myself? Where are you holding a mirror up to show that I am in disconnection with my own confidence, with a capital S, self-confidence? And so that jealousy becomes the very gift. It's the medicine that we need in order to come back home. Hmm. That makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. How would you recommend beginning to have, I mean, you're describing it already, but just going deeper into uh, gaining relationship or having a conversation with the drunk jealousy Mm -hmm. driver? Do we do like 
gestalt therapy and make jealousy a pillow and talk to it or gestalt is, is amazing that's how i started was with gestalt gestalt therapy sometimes also you say it better than i do <laughs> hardly i say it like a jerk <laughs> <laughs> i say it with a jersey accent so i'm from pennsylvania true. okay so yeah, where yeah, represent okay. lancaster uh, Lexeter? Is Lancaster. It? Oh, uh, yeah, country, yeah, yeah, furniture. sure, sure, yeah, sure. Yeah. Great furniture. Are yeah. you kidding? Yeah. Beautiful. <laughs> it's good at the Jersey Shore. It's beautiful out there. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, I'm way <laughs> north. I'm way, um, like, just outside of Matt, yeah. uh, the city. Right. Yeah, it's like okay. two different worlds. Oh, good for you. Mm-hmm. Oh. And um, so, anyway, how would you be in relationship? Um, yeah, how do we talk to drunky? Um, sometimes I will do um, non-dominant handwriting. And meaning that in my meditations, I might ask a question of my inner child. Mm. And then I will um, take, I'm a righty, so I would take the pen in my left hand. And I would answer the question through the inner child. And then I would ask questions back and forth. And so I would then take the pen in my right hand and say, how do you feel? Or how old are you? Or what are you wearing? Um, Or are you angry? Are you scared? And then let her just rage Hmm. and let her process without, you know, just standing on two sides. And so without defending or anything, just letting her just get all, vomit all the words out and be like, okay, so that's what I'm carrying. Hmm. You know, where have you been? And, you know, when I needed you, you didn't show up. And, you know, you were with that, that guy and you let yourself be abandoned the way in which I was abandoned. So you keep abandoning me. Like you can get some real insight with non-dominant handwriting. And, um, but I also want to recommend to anyone who's listening or watching, getting support and guidance in doing this kind of work is really important because it can be re-traumatizing. And to have to excavate those scarier sides to yourself and with the right support, it it becomes a a relief, um, a welcome uh, integration. But when you first start, it's like, mm, you know, it's like you, you ran from that. Why would you want to go back in there? But like I had said earlier, more often than not, it's the answer to the prayer. Most people are praying for healing and this is what it looks like. Hmm. I feel like that's sometimes what can be like the trouble with, uh, people that are like real gun ho about psychedelics. Um, we talk about psychedelics, like we've got lots of episodes about on here. Mm-hmm. Um, but oftentimes there's a lack of resource beyond the six hour ceremony. Mm-hmm. And, and then yeah. that's where like the work is like, cool, like great. The window is open. Yeah, you got yeah. to see the thing and you know, it's like, okay, wow, that, that's yeah. amazing. But then if we don't have the resources to back that up, it might just leave us maybe almost like anxious and confused and absolutely yeah, so absolutely. it's that it's that transition mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a big believer in that having done um i mean i i did psychedelics in my past uh, certainly and enjoyed them thoroughly um what does enjoy mean sorry for interrupting um i i enjoyed drugs a lot you know yeah. because it was my way of self-soothing it was also my way at times at that time um i was a a hypersensitive person like I had a very strong intuitive sense of the world and doing psychedelics affirmed the it, it opened up these landscapes that I knew were there yep. and gave me access to them but unfortunately it was also my way of avoiding um, my own vulnerability so for me drugs is not an outlet that I will that I will use in order to, to reach um, would you put drugs all into one basket or is there any? Di- no, there's some discerning qualities. There's some discernment around that. Like I've done ayahuasca as an, yeah. as an adult and my experience with ayahuasca, very, very powerful. 
aunt, I am humbled by that particular kind of medicine. I, it took me two years of prep work before I went into the experience. And, and I mean real deep work. I was guided without doing ayahuasca. I mean, I was just guided in therapy and with working with elders in my community mm. to really get clear about what was my intention in going in, knowing that it opens portal. And I wanted to be prepped for this portal. And it's, as, you know, as anyone who's done it knows, it's very intense. It's not fun. Yeah, that's why I questioned you know? the, the enjoy part. And I was no, like, what no, no, does no. this mean, yeah. enjoy? <laughs> yeah. No, it's, you know, ayahuasca and a lot of the plant-based medicine, not, it's not fun. Um, and I don't necessarily advocate for it, especially for those, you know, people who do have drug dependency and things like that. Um, and I worked with an eighth generation um, shaman in Ecuador. Um, and when it was over, I knew there was no way that I would turn around in another week and do the ceremony again. I knew it was going to take a while of integration, that I was going to have to take some of this information back to my therapist and um, uh, elders and process it and get more clarity on what some of these visions were. Like, I just don't, I'm not flippant about uh the use of medicinal medicinal um, plants, uh, the way in which I see many people in the community, just like every weekend, they're just throwing it down session after session. I don't think that's sustainable. And, and I'm pretty practiced. And I'm always, I could take very often for me, the, the ayahuasca just goes on about seven hours longer than like after an hour, I'm like, I can stop right here. Yeah. Like I've just gotten so much download right in this hour that I can just stay with this for the next year. The next seven hours is going, this is the hard part of just like having to hunker down into the experience. Um, That's probably the work. Uh, <laughs> that's why I would be more than happy. Like just, just one hour. So, but I'm humbled yeah. by that kind of, um, by that kind of work and I don't take it lightly and I don't necessarily equate that with uh, recreational drug use mm -mm. although I do see some people using it in that way um, but that kind of the integration the after effects to me are as important as being in the moment and getting the visions and the insights it's what happens afterwards as you unpack it I think that can lead to integration or more of a split. Yeah. Do you feel whole? Like, what does that mean? Like, like if you like, like, what does that mean to you? Do I feel whole? I mean, in yes and no. You know, yes. Yeah. Uh, I am whole. I am one hundred percent divinity. So I can't not be whole. And simultaneously, I have a massive ego like everyone else, so I feel completely split. Both are true. So intellectually, I know that I'm whole, we are whole, and I know that we're completely connected. And, and yet, because of just the immaturity of my own evolutionary process, that this split just exists, and that's just the way that it is. I don't think I'm attached at this point of thinking it should be any any other than what it is. Um, I revel in the moments where I feel and they're blips. There's moments where I feel that connection to source in such a profound way. It's an, a level of um, 
it's a level of creative artistry. That's how it feels like within my body that is so unique and yet so uh, natural. Those moments are extraordinary. And then life. <laughs> and, but I don't then long for the other. Yeah. I just, it's just like, oh, I get it. That, 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 it's that. Yeah. We're, we're going to go there. And I look forward to the next time I get gifted enough to be in the presence of that, that integration. So, yeah, the answer to that, I feel both whole and not. And, and I, I bounce that question back to you. How, how do you feel? Um, yeah, it's, it depends on the moment. Mm-hmm. <coughs> you know, and so something that I've gathered, I mean, essentially like reflecting essentially exactly what you said. Um, and then not being overly attached to those sensations or maybe mirages of wholeness Mm -hmm. because as soon as you grab onto that then all of a sudden you're kind of setting yourself up for some form of pain because it's going to drift maybe within minutes maybe hours maybe days Mm -hmm. so um i'm learning a lot from you during this conversation i feel like i'm by being with you i'm Mm -hmm. getting um getting quite a bit yeah, well, vice versa. Oh, good. I'm certainly getting like a sauna. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> At least a little warmer. <laughs> I'm, I'm detoxing. Yeah. The sauna turns off in 35 seconds. That was the whole conversation. Is that true? Really? Yeah, yeah we're looking oh. at it right there. Um, oh, that's thanks great. so much. Oh, thank you very much. I so yeah, greatly appreciate yeah. that. That was so fun. Yeah, um, it's my privilege. I highly recommend people grab your book. How do people get it? What's or, or whatever? What do you? Where do people Revolution, go from here? Revolution of the Soul. You can get it at Amazon. You can get it at Barnes and Noble. You can get it hopefully at your local bookstore. That's even you know better. Um, and I hope people enjoy it. And if they don't, don't tell me. Mm, right, exactly. <laughs> Give it to yourself. Send me an email. Yeah. Send it to my assistant. I always say she'll burn it. My, my nervous system can handle brilliant, <laughs> amazing. Maybe in a year from now I can I can handle critical <laughs> feedback, but right yeah. now it's like, nah, no, right. just tell me it was incredible. <laughs> have to take pity on Cushion. me. Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't think you have to worry about it. Yeah, and um, I hope people enjoy it. I hope they recognize themselves in it. I hope it moves them, um, and that perhaps it inspires them to want to reframe and me- maybe even write their own stories and drop in a little bit deeper. And I also hope it it helps them to forgive themselves for thinking they should know better and to forgive others for the same thing. And ultimately to get out into the world and to be of service and to do what needs to be done in in order to really create a more integrated and love-filled world, which is possible when we work towards being more whole within ourselves. Mm. Maybe they could write their stories with their non-dominant hand (laughs) and not be judgmental (laughs) about it. That would take a long fucking time. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways. um, All right. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate it. Until next time. All right. Over now. Thanks for listening. I hope you guys love that conversation as much as I did. If you did, you can tag uh, myself at Align Podcast on the Instagram or Sean Corn or both of us. Sean Corn is spelled S-E-A-N-C-O-R-N-E. She's at Sean Corn on Instagram. I greatly appreciate you guys tuning in. I hope you really got a lot from that conversation. And I hope you guys enjoy the Align Method online program in which you will receive a seven-day free trial. First week, absolutely free. And in there, you get into some breath practices to get your body going, also to down-regulate your bodies 
And in that first week as well, we get into morning routines and also some self-care principles for you guys to start to open up that back, them shoulders, that neck of yours, uh, really great stuff. And I'm just so proud and excited to share that with you. So you can go to alignpodcast.com slash align method or jump onto Instagram and the link for it is in the bio. I hope you guys are staying safe. I hope you guys are staying well. Uh, I highly recommend getting some sunlight, opening your windows, exposing your skin and your nasal passages to the nature as much as you possibly can because that will help boost your immune system. Also, use this time as an opportunity to reach out to people that you love, uh, support them any way that you can, and uh, I know you guys are gonna do great. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you're having a beautiful life and I will see you this Thursday with a solo episode.